Well, in Psalm chapter 3, I won't get you to go there now, but in Psalm chapter 3, there's a really intriguing verse that says this. It says, the psalmist cries out, he says, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. It's a really interesting psalm. The, the psalmist is kind of outnumbered, right? He's got all these enemies. People are attacking him. And yet he can lie down and sleep. He can rest. It's quite incredible. I wonder if at your, in your life at the moment, if you're in that kind of condition. Uh, is, is it that you're in the condition where whatever you face during the day... It doesn't keep you up at night. You can actually rest. You can sleep deeply. Uh, if you've got an oral presentation tomorrow, can you actually go to bed before 1am? Can you do that? Uh, if you've, uh, or, or are you kind of up all night worrying? If you fail an exam, can you actually sleep? Or are you just too despairing? So you have to watch Netflix till 3am. Tonight, as we come to God's Word, I actually want us to consider this topic of rest. We're in the middle of this series, uh, this series where we're actually asking the question, what are you searching for? What are we as humans searching for? And what we've been doing is each week we're opening up a narrative from John's Gospel and seeing how Jesus fulfills our desires, what we're actually really searching for. And tonight, our topic probably guessed it by now, is rest. We're searching for rest, I think. And Jesus says he can give it to us. My question is, are you tired? Are you like this person? I googled this. I I get tired at times. I think we all do. I said, why am I tired? This came up. Seven reasons. I was like, this is amazing. I'm just (laughs) just going to open this uh, website up. I'm going to scroll down Problem solved, right? Here were the seven reasons. I won't scroll through the whole thing, but anemia, thyroid disease, diabetes, depression, rheumatoid arthritis, chronic fatigue, sleep apnea. Perhaps, if you're tired, there is something going on medically, and you need to check that out. Uh, that's actually not what we're looking at tonight. The doctor is down the hall and to the right. If you need to see them, get a blood test, perhaps. I'd like to add number eight. For me, personally, these guys, that, that's my children. They make me tired. Uh, they interrupt my sleep. But tonight, physical tiredness, that's not our focus, right? Tonight, we actually want to be thinking about something deeper. Uh, something called, you might call it soul rest, or rest of our heart. Uh, is there an internal rest going on for you? where whatever is going on during the day, you can actually face it uh, and you can sleep deeply at night. This passage in John 5, would be great if you've got one of those Gospels in front of you. In John 5, it's all about restlessness. Uh, You might have noticed that the whole passage is actually a conflict that happens on the Sabbath day, the day that was set aside for rest. Uh, You probably picked up from the passage that Josh read that the Jewish leaders, they were angry at Jesus because Jesus worked on the Sabbath by healing a man. And what I want to show you tonight is to show you, actually, we see two types of restlessness that can be going on with us as humans. 
And I want to show how Jesus answers that question, that search that we have. So firstly, have a look at the lame man. Have a look there in verse 5 of John 5. There's a bit of context there in verses 2 to 4. I'll read that out. Uh, We see in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, there is a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. It has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralysed. So what we see here, the context, is there is a pool. It's a real pool. Uh, It's been dug up recently. Uh, That's it today. You can go there. You can check it out. The pool in Bethesda. the things we read in the Bible are real historical events based in real historical places. That's what it looks like today. But back in Jesus' day, there was actually water in that pool. And there was a legend or a superstition about this pool uh, that attracted sick people, invalids, lame people. The legend was this, that if the water had a ripple or a movement on it, then that meant that there was an angel on the water. And if you entered the pool while the angel was still there, you would be healed. Uh, So you can imagine, right? People believed the superstition. We don't know particularly why the water rippled. Maybe it was just the wind. Maybe it was a tremor. They didn't have uh, subways or trains or anything going (laughs) underground then. So we don't actually know. But the point is, right, this man that we meet in John's Gospel... He had been trying for a long time to get down into this pool. Uh, We see in verse 5 and 6, he'd been an invalid for 38 years, and for a long time he's been trying to get into this pool to get healing. And I want you to try and imagine what this guy might have been thinking all that time. Don't you reckon he might have been thinking, if I can just get in the water, then I'll be healed. And if I can be healed, if my legs can be fixed, then I'll be able to walk, I'll be able to run, I'll be able to dance, then I'll have joy, then I'll I'll be happy, then I'll be okay. Do you see? All his hopes were bound up in changing this circumstance of his life, getting healed. But do you see what happens? In verse 7, every time he tries to get into the pool, someone beats him to it. He can't get in. Uh, And and so what we see is we find this man and he's frustrated, right? He's restless. Uh, You you can see the picture. He's thinking, if I can just get in there, then I'll be okay, but he he just can't get in there. And so he can't bring about this change by himself. And then all of a sudden, this guy called Jesus walks up and Jesus says, do you want to be healed? It's kind of an obvious question, don't you reckon? Do you want to be healed? And look at how the man responds. It's really interesting, I reckon. He goes, I've got no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And uh, while I'm going down, someone else pushes in. It's, got a, it's an interesting response from Jesus, from uh, the man, don't you reckon? I mean, basically, he says, Jesus, this pool thing, it's just not working. I've been trying and trying and trying, and it's not working. He doesn't say... Yes, Jesus, I believe in you. Please heal me. No, he just says, what I've been trying to do hasn't worked. That's it. And that's actually all Jesus needs. He just needs us, this man, to say, I've been going the wrong way. I need you. So what does Jesus do? Well, 
Jesus, as he often does with a word, heals the man. Uh, that's, that's the story of the man. That's the first picture, do you see? He's restless because he's actually looking for rest by trying to change his situation, by trying to find something better. But he just couldn't do it. It didn't deliver. I don't know if you ever think like that. If I just get through this exam, then I won't have any more stress. Then I'll be okay. If I just get past this weekend, then I'll be smooth sailing after that. Do you ever think like that? If I can just sort out that relationship, change that circumstance, then I'll be able to rest. I mean, thinking about this topic of rest, I've been really intrigued by it, actually. So yesterday, what I organised to do was meet up with a psychologist and talk to her about it. Uh, this lady used to be a um, lecturer here in Bendigo in psychology, and I asked her, I said, hypothetically, if someone uh, came to you and, she, and they said, I can't rest, what would you say to them? Just trying to seek some advice. Uh, she said this, she said, well, first... I'd ask them about their lifestyle. Are they eating well? Good diet? Are they exercising? Are they trying to get eight hours sleep? There's some just kind of practical things going on. But secondly, she said, if it's not lifestyle, then I'd ask, I'd look for two things, she said. Unprocessed grief and trauma, or two, unmet expectations. So unprocessed grief or trauma and unmet expectations. They're the two things that she says contribute most likely to restlessness in here, in our souls. And it struck me that the man in the story, I think, is actually experiencing both of those things, don't you reckon? He's got unprocessed grief. He's been an invalid for 38 years. He's never dealt with it. But also, he's got this expectation thing that if he can just get in the pool, then he'll be okay, and he just can't meet it. But secondly, it seems to me there's actually another group of people in this story who are also restless. It's the Jews, the religious leaders. It seems to me that they're restless because they have actually got this huge list of expectations that they are trying to meet. So just look at how the Jews react in verse 10. Uh, The healed guy comes along, see it there in verse 10, and they say to him, It is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed and walk. You're angry, right? And the man says, in verse 11, he says, the man who healed me, the man man said, take your bed and walk. And you can imagine why he sort of just obeyed Jesus. I mean, this guy's been an invalid for 38 years and he says, get up, walk, and you know, carry your bed, right? You can imagine, okay, I'll carry my bed too, yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks, I'll do that. But do you see their reaction? They, they attack this guy, right? And, and they say, you're breaking the regulations. You're working on the Sabbath by carrying your mat. They're angry, do you see? Do you see, that? see how they're judgmental? That's how restlessness can come out sometimes. Harsh words self-righteous judgmentalism. It's bad. But I think really for us to get to the bottom of what's going on here, we actually need to take a step back. But we need to think about what the Sabbath actually is uh, and what it was set up for. 
originally in God's plan. The Sabbath day, the day of rest, it was actually originally given by God so that God's people would rest in God's provision. That's what it was for. So God's people would rest in God's provision. That's, that's the whole idea of the Sabbath. I'll show you just a little bit of background to this. The first time the Sabbath is mentioned in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 22 to 30 in that sort of category. I'm not just going to read that out. I'll just kind of summarize it for you. The, the, the passage really is this. There was these, the Israelites had complained to God. They were out in the wilderness. They'd complained to God. And they were going to starve to death in the desert. So they cried out to God and God said, okay, I'm going to send you this cool stuff called manna. It's going to be like bread and honey. It's going to taste really sweet. And it's going to come down and I'm going to give you some meat. I'm going to give you some quails. And you can go out and you can collect that. You can collect a day's worth every day and that will sustain you. That will, that will be what you have. But on the sixth, the sixth day, collect twice as much. Because on the seventh day, I want you to rest. So, that's what the people did. They collected twice as much on the sixth day, and they rested on the seventh in what God had provided for them, do you see? When you get a little bit further on in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 20, uh, you see that commandment number four is kind of spelling out this Sabbath day. And so it says there, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Again, do you see? God provided everything in six days. And then on the seventh day, Humanity was to rest and enjoy that good provision. The big idea of the Sabbath, you see, is that God's people would rest knowing that God was a good provider, that they didn't have to be in control, they didn't have to work all the time, they could rest in God's provision. They could trust him with what's going on. That was the original intention of the Sabbath. But over the years... By the time the Jewish, by the time Jesus came along, what had happened was that the Jewish religious leaders had made up all these rules, all these regulations about what resting on the Sabbath actually looked like. And we can actually read about these um, regulations they had in a book called the Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah was published around 300 years after Jesus, but what it really is is it's a collection of all these oral regulations that had been handed down over the years. Now, I need to say, the Mishnah is not the Bible. Please do not pick up the Mishnah and think that that will save you, that you need to follow it. The Mishnah is not the Bible. The Mishnah is human regulations that say, if you do this, then you can keep the law. The Bible says, we actually can't keep the law. We need a saviour. We need someone who keeps the law for us, and that's Jesus. Let me show you about the Sabbath, though. Here's a table that summarises Mishnah 7.2, which gives you the 39 regulations on how you can keep the Sabbath. If you don't do those 39 things, then you have rested. 
and you have kept the Sabbath. This is, this is real. This is what was going on in Jesus' day. So I just read a couple. I won't read them all. No sowing, no reaping, no ploughing, no binding of sheaves. Um, yeah, there's, you know, couldn't really be a farmer back then, I guess, on, that, on those things. But have a look at the very last one over here. The last one. No transporting an object between a private domain and a public domain. That is why the Jews are angry at the man. Do you know that? Because Jesus said to him, carry your mat. Do you know, if you go back, and I did that this week, you can trust me, read the Mishnah closely, if Jesus had have said, wear your mat like a backpack, that would have been okay. Because it would have been classed as part of his clothing. But because he was carrying his mat from a public place to a private place or vice versa, then he wasn't resting. He was working. It, he was breaking Sabbath. It, it seems kind of crazy, don't you reckon? Uh, we look at that and we go, that's crazy. But there was, that's what was going on. There was all these detailed regulations, detailed rules for how they could keep the law. And so you've got to ask the question, why? Why did they do that? Why so many regulations? Well, I think it's because of this. I think it's because they believe, like we all do, that if they met the expectations, then they'd be okay. They made all these rules, rules that were doable, so that if they kept them, they would actually be able to go, wow, I'm pretty good. I kept the rules. People must think I'm a pretty good person because I kept the law. And so what they're doing, right, is they're actually resting in their performance. That they perhaps look around and they'd see other people who had broken the rules. And they'd feel a bit puffed up. Well, I must be pretty good. I'm better than those people. Because I've kept the law. Do you see? And they're finding this rest by meeting expectations. It seems to me that that this whole quest was actually a way of searching for rest. So there's the two people, the lame man searching for rest by trying to change his circumstances, the leaders searching for rest by trying to meet expectations. Where are you looking for rest? Are you looking for rest in meeting expectations? I get it that you couldn't rest in year 12 because you had to get a really good ATAR. Right. But surely you can rest now because you're in uni. Is that how it works? No, now you need to get good grades. You need to meet the expectations that either you've put on yourself or your friends are putting on you or your parents have put on you. You're trying to meet these expectations all the time. You need to do well. You need to get a good job. All that sort of thing. You're always trying to meet expectations. And I think... That's just restless, isn't it? You can't rest in that. You'll always be restless. That's psychology, modern psychology tells us that. But the Bible's been saying it for much longer. True rest, friends, it's not found in our work. It's not found by us trying to change our circumstances and it's not found by us trying to be good enough and rest in our performance. No, it's actually found in God's work. Have a look at verse 17. Verse 17 there. What does Jesus say to kind of close off this 
narrative, he says, my father is working until now and I am working. Jesus says, look, if you're in that first category, if, if you're just wanting to change your situation and if you think that is where rest is found, if I can just change that one thing, then I can rest. Well, Jesus says, consider this. Consider the heavenly Father's work. What's the Father's work? Well, it's his provision, isn't it? It's actually his providential control over all things. It's his working in all things for the good of those who love him. Romans 8.28, that's what Paul tells us. That's the Father's work. That, that God is the God who is in control of all things. He's got it covered. Friends, some of you are restless because you're trying to be in control of all things. You're trying to do God's work. You're trying to be God. Tim Keller in his book on prayer writes this. It says, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. Do you get what that means? I, I'd read it probably three, maybe four times before I got it. Um, what he's saying is sometimes we will pray and our prayers will actually be according to God's will. And so God will give us that because it's in line with what he wants. But other times we'll be like the lame man. And we'll be saying, God, just fix this. Just solve this problem. Just do it right now. And God will say no to that. He might not change it. But what Keller is pointing out, and I think rightly so, he says, if we knew what God's plans were for the world and for us and what he's trying to do for us, we wouldn't actually be asking that in the first place. That's trust, right? So the question is, can you rest that our Heavenly Father has got it under control? Can you rest in His control? Do you trust Him that He is truly good and that He is working in all things for your good? If you do, then whatever goes on during the day, you'll actually be able to sleep well at night. That's the Father's work. But secondly, Jesus talks about his work. So you've got to ask the question, well, what is Jesus' work? Well, Jesus' work is his work of living the perfect life. It's his work of performing faultlessly. It's his work of actually meeting every expectation and then saying, that life, that perfect life, I give it to you. That's Jesus' work. On the cross, do you see, when Jesus died, do you know what he did? Jesus took our imperfect lives onto himself and he gave us his perfect life. It's in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about this great exchange. It says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what's going on on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, when we put our trust in him, what it means is this, that God sees us as if we have lived up to every expectation, as if we have lived perfectly like Jesus did. That's how God sees us. And so do you know what that means? It actually means that you don't have to prove yourself 
anymore. You can rest from that sort of seeking of approval because you have God's approval. The only person who, whose opinion really matters, God's, says, you are my beloved child. With you I am well pleased. What does this look like practically? Well, I think it means a couple of things. I think it means that you can actually hand in your assignment if it's not perfect. You can. And you cannot be overcome by worry until you get your marks back because it's okay if you don't get the best grade. It's okay. That means you can say when you've worked hard, I'm going to knock off. I'm going to come to see you. I'm going to take an hour out. I'm going to go to base camp. I'm going to take a weekend off. I'm going to go to church, whatever it is. You can actually knock off and say, I've worked hard. I don't need to find my approval in that. What I really need is I need to hear about the one who gives me my approval and rest in that. It means if someone criticises you, you'll actually be able to handle that because if everybody else in the world is against you, if everyone else says you're ugly but God says you're beautiful, then that will make you feel beautiful. You can handle criticism. Friends, can you see how resting in his work, can you see how it might actually shape us? How it might actually make us to be different? I think if we really believe this and know this, we will actually carry ourselves differently. We will have this kind of humble confidence that other people will look at and they'll go, why are you not freaking out about that example? And you'll be able to say, because it's not everything to me. And you'll be a light. And you'll be able to point people to him. He gives us rest. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you say to us, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, Father, we pray that we will find our rest in this knowledge that you love us, that you care for us, that you are working in all things for our good. Father, help us to rest in the knowledge that you see us as perfect because Jesus Christ has given us his perfect record. Father, may these great truths strengthen us and help us shine for you in this place. Amen.